Well, we've been going through an interesting study, a very interesting study, on how the devil has sought to deceive us by altering the word of God. And you know, there's nothing new about it at all. You think about right back at Genesis chapter 3. What did the devil say to Eve? Remember? Has God said? He got, him, he got her to doubt the very word of God. So it goes right back to the very beginning. And this morning I want to talk about something rather curious. It's, it's an unanswered question. It's about something that's not in a great many of these Bibles that were translated using the Greek text prepared by the occult leaders, Westcourt and Hort. In fact, I found out some even more disturbing information about them during the week. If it could, if it could get any worse, it certainly did. But would you turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. You'll notice in verse 4 here, Paul also writes, For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit, which ye have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, you might well bear with him. For I suppose I was not a whit behind the very chiefest apostles. But though I be rude in speech, yet not in knowledge, but we have been thoroughly made manifest among you in all things. It is very interesting to me that even back in the early church, of course, we had false teachers teaching another Jesus, teaching another gospel, corrupting the word of God right at the very beginning. You see, Satan has used the exact same method with us today as he has used with Eve to cause doubt. He wants to cause doubt in God's word. You see, it's always under attack. And some will say it's not a salvation issue in regards to Bible verses, but I think it is, and it certainly is an authority issue. Most certainly it's an authority issue. Because what we're talking about here, if what you're reading is not the full word of God, then it's God's word versus Satan's word, isn't it? It's the King James Bible versus the corrupt modern versions. But if the corrupt modern versions are not corrupt, then the King James is corrupt. What do you believe? Do you see the doubt creeping in? If you can be saved by just saying a sinner's prayer as these verses, as these Bibles have been crafted to have you believe, and that's just one of the things they do then the historical teachings and the doctrines preached by the Lord's Church for 2,000 years are incorrect. See, this is really about the believing church versus the ecumenical church. Some people talk about readability and language, but that's not what it's about. It's about the believing church versus the ecumenical church. Now, what is ecumenism, you might ask? Ecumenism is a movement that seeks to unite all the churches initially and eventually religions around the world, but all the churches into a single church with the Pope as the head of the church. That's the ecumenical movement. It's to move towards that way of thinking. It's to move towards those ideas. 
And in order to get that, you need to get the word of God out of the way. Because if you know the word of God, then you know there's only one head of the church, and that's Jesus Christ. He is the supreme and only potentate. So there's no, there's no other room there. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And of course, you've got to get rid of this whole needing to be baptized. Because that's a major stumbling block for so many. Especially if you're going to have all these different churches with different religious beliefs, if you're going to meld them all together, well then there are certain things you have to remove. And this is why I want to, put, to focus on even just, just one example. We might get to more this morning, but just one example of what happens when a Bible verse is removed, why it's removed, and the consequences of that. Do you know there's only one verse in the whole Bible that tells what must happen before someone is baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Before. Did you know that a lot of Bibles simply leave that verse out? Now there are many preachers and even pastors in denominational churches which have been trained on the King James Bible. That's the standard that's used in colleges around the world. That's the standard that's used because of its, of its authority of its reliability. It's still used as the standard in colleges like Oxford and Harvard and wherever the Bible hasn't been banned. It may have been banned in Harvard. But a trained preacher will, he knows it's supposed to be there. So his mind might even fill in the blanks as he goes along. When he reads that passage going through the Bible, that leaves it out. But here's the question, what about all the young people in the congregation who are not brought up in the King James? They might never know that this verse belongs there. I remember the first time I read through the NIV and my attention was drawn to it and all of a sudden Acts, Acts 8, 37 wasn't there. It went from 36 to 38, where is it? It was removed. Yes, you could find it in the side notes but if you find it in the side notes, are you going to believe that it's actually scripture? There's doubt there. Is this right? You see, what that does is that it allows what's called wiggle room. What's wiggle room? It's, well, it's room where you can wiggle out of something. That's what it's doing, providing wiggle room. But, and worse, these people, these young people, who might believe all of the textual notes that say it doesn't belong, will end up deceived about the doctrine which is vital to Christian growth, isn't it? If you're not baptized, are you forgiven of your sin? No. No, you're not forgiven of your sin if you're not baptized. They're not washed away if you're not baptized. There are those in the world that will teach that being baptized is a work. They will also teach um, repentance is a work. It's not. It's an act of obedience. They will also teach confessing that Jesus is the Son of God is a work. It is not. Let us look at the account of the events that led up to the baptism of the Ethiopian eunuch. And there's a lot more to it when you look in behind the, the scenes of it because he was, he was a eunuch. And because he was a eunuch, he was not allowed to go all the way towards full conversion to Judaism. There were all these stop signs. So he had, he had gotten to go to Jerusalem. 
He believed in the God of Israel. So this was a trip of a lifetime all the way from Ethiopia to Jerusalem. It's a long journey. He had just seen the holy city. He's seen the priests and even the temple itself, which would have been incredibly overwhelming to have seen something like that, even for us today. But he could only see the temple from a distance. He would have been bewildered. He would have been thinking, how could I be so close and yet so far away? The Jews would have called him Gershiar, which means a proselyte at the gate. He had kept the ceremonial law, but he was neither baptized nor circumcised as a Jew. It was impossible because he was a eunuch. This was forbidden according to the law of Moses. And as the treasurer for the queen of Ethiopia, he had just started a long track back from Jerusalem. I imagine it would have taken a great many months. It's a long, long way. But in his visit, there had been nothing but stop signs all along the way. He'd worshipped God but couldn't do it in the temple. He'd offered burnt offerings but no other sacrifices were allowed. He had listened to teachers but none would come near a eunuch. This was their way of obeying the Torah, you see. So when he had stood in the court of the Gentiles, unable to take another step toward the God of Israel whom he loved and longed to obey, he couldn't do it. It was a stop sign. But from one thing he was not hindered at, reading the Holy Scriptures. And that was the key. On his trip home, the Ethiopian took the long desert road south toward Gaza, avoiding the path that would have led him near civilization because he'd have been shunned, because he was a eunuch. He needed time to think, to read God's holy word. Surely he would have been thinking, if only someone could answer my questions, because remember, the learned men couldn't come near him. He thought that he would have been thinking this as he had, again, would have t- attempted to understand the Hebrew scroll of Isaiah. One that he would have purchased, no doubt, would, would have cost him a lot of money to perch, purchase from the scribes of Jerusalem. Well, little did he know that God was about to act. Earlier that day, God had sent the angel of the Lord to Philip, telling him to take that same desert road in the middle of nowhere. So he walked along, wondering what God would have in store for him, and soon his question was answered. A caravan passed by, and the Spirit of God said, Go near, join thyself, and join thyself to this chariot. So he ran up, and what did he hear? Isaiah, Isaiah, chapter 53. He would have asked, I asked quickly, Understandest what thou readest? And the eunuch would have answered, How can I except some man should show me? The eunuch wanted Philip to come up and sit with him in his chariot. And he did. The eunuch would have thought, oh, immediately, this Jew is different. He's not shunning me because I'm a eunuch. It would have been apparent by the way he dressed, by his station. So while the eunuch would have marveled at this sign of human compassion, Philip sat down right next to him and opened up the scriptures, preparing to read about the suffering servant. Or listen to the eunuch's question. I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this? Of himself or of some other man? Philip's answer was simple. He preached unto him Jesus. Jesus is the one the prophet was writing about. One question answered. 
As Philip preached, he gave to him the whole counsel of God. Why not? He had him right there. He was eager. They had a long journey ahead of them. Suddenly the eunuch heard the commands of the resurrected Lord and he shuddered. Baptism? Oh no, as a proselyte at the gate, I'm not permitted to be baptized. You see, this was another stop sign stopping him from coming to the Lord. He wanted a personal relationship with the Lord God. He wanted to be right. She wanted to have the same covenant with God just like the Jewish people had. But now this, the Messiah had come and it was still something stopping him. This was the most important question of his life and he had to ask it. Then he saw his chance in a way that appeared almost out of nowhere. He summoned up all of his courage and asked the question that filled his heart. See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And then what happened? The eunuch stopped the chariot. Philip baptized him and suddenly disappeared. The end, right? Wait a minute. Just wait a minute. I hear you say, that's all. Isn't there something missing? What about the answer to his question? Well, if you have a modern Bible version, that's all you have. Verse 37 is missing. There's no answer to the eunuch's question. But if you have the King James, God's preserved words, you know the answer from the next verse. And Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The answer to his question was simple and it was direct. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, with all your heart. And upon his confession of faith, he was baptized for the forgiveness of his sins. Since his work was done, God zapped Philip 70 miles away over to Azotus before the baptismal waters even cleared from the eunuch's eyes. But why is this whole verse? What's so controversial about it? What is so bad or it could be so offensive about someone saying, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, or being required to say that. What could be so offensive? Why is it missing? Because from the moment the so-called institutional church got the idea to start baptizing babies, they had to choose. Either obey the scripture and stop baptizing babies, or dump the scripture and keep the tradition. You see, that was an awkward scripture, isn't it? That's a stop sign. And it's a stop sign right there. You see, this is the only verse in the Bible that says you must believe before you can be baptized. Babies, and I love babies. But babies aren't old enough to believe. So they don't qualify. They can't make a confession of faith in Christ. And for sin, what sin? There'd have to be a very inventive baby indeed to have any kind of sin. See, this verse forces you to pick one. The tradition or the scripture. And this was brought in really early on. We're talking about the second, the third centuries in the, in the Near East. But that particular group of churches started baptizing babies. Get them in, get them in, and the quicks quickly spread. But it doesn't end there, you see. You can be baptized as an infant, 
But that's not the end of the story. When you get to like 13, 14, 15, you start going to what's called a catechism class. I've been through this process myself, where you go to these lessons and they teach you the rules of the church. And they teach why hmm, maybe some of these things that the church believes in is not what the Bible's saying, and then they explain why. And then you go in and you get confirmed. You have a big ceremony and you go up and the archbishop lays his hands on you and, or drops oil on your head and away you go. But, yeah, yes, Jack? The, uh, the, the reason that they consider babies requiring sin, uh, requiring baptism, is that they believe that babies are born in sin That's it. because original sin is translated down through heredity so that everybody is totally depraved, and uh, and so it's the false doctrine of original sin mm-hmm. that it makes it where they have to do that. Yeah. And otherwise, they're the babies that uh, you know die with as, as an infant would be condemned to hell, according to their doctrine. Yeah. And yeah. people wouldn't stand for that. Yeah. You know, so so it's interesting to note. What the, the reason underlying some of these things is because of other false doctrines that they have to propagate That's right. as a result of that. And one led to another. It, it, it's like if somebody tells a lie. Sometimes they have to add other lies to back up that lie. And they better have a good memory. So, so they, they have to keep backing it up. And I've known people that were terrified that their child wasn't going to be baptized just in case something happened. Because they honestly believed that if their child died without being christened, that they were going to go to purgatory, and that there was a special place in purgatory, which doesn't exist, by the way. It doesn't exist anywhere except in the minds of men. You can't find it in the Bible. Purgatory is a place where people go to, to well, if, if, a, if a baby dies without being baptized into the one true holy church, as they call it, um, they're going to stay there, yeah. Uh, purgatory. Mm. Was it the Catholic running short of money, so they had to, to buy something to get more money in the treasury? I think you're absolutely right. So it all goes back to love of money. We'll, yeah. We'll this thing, and then all these people who are mm-hmm. back here that's got all the money that's left can donate that to the church, and we'll get their relative out of purgatory. That's right, because you see, in purgatory. They teach that you would go to purgatory for hundreds or thousands or millions of years, but of course your relative, for a few gold coins, can cut some time off that time in purgatory. Of course, if it's a baby that's born... When you trace these things back, mm-hmm. there's always a reason that men have to come up with new mm-hmm. ideas and new thoughts. And back on the baby's sinning, mm-hmm. well, you know, if you don't understand what sin is, you know, you, you're in bad shape. You are. And, and I yeah. very plainly explain, sin is a transgression of God's law. Mm-hmm. Therefore, that little kid, you know, if he's transgressed God's law, uh, we're all in bad shape. Exactly, exactly. And you see, there's the, that's another reason why they didn't want people to read the Word of God. Because when you read the Word of God, you have power. And you see, now that the word of God is out there, they want to corrupt the word of God to suit themselves. And it is. It's money. It's all money, no matter where you go. Well, the word of God totally destroyed the concept of original sin. Mm -hmm. In the Old Testament, we're told 
that the child cannot bear the sins of the father, and the father cannot bear the sins of the child. That's right. Sins are individual. Mm-hmm. They're just, they're yours. You, they are, you're completely yours, and you own them. Yeah, you own them, and you've got to deal with them. And the only way to deal with them is through Jesus Christ. But you see, if you get Jesus going directly to God through baptism out of the way, you've got to go to the parish priest or the bishop, the archbishop. Of course, yeah. we do know, and the Bible does plainly teach, that the consequences of sin are far-reaching mm-hmm. and impact many people. That's like because of Adam's sin, all everybody has to die because of Adam's sin. Mm-hmm. So his, the consequences of his sin are far-reaching, but his sin itself was his. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Another thing that they did, though, is they were sin-makers. They decided to make sins. And you know where they got that authority from? From mistaking, from taking um, verses of the Bible out of context. What you bind in heaven will be bound on earth. What the Lord was talking about there with Peter was that they had to keep what Christ said, not change what Christ said. The Roman church, they changed it so that whatever they say could change Alter it, you know, like your insurance policy. Well, also, that <laughs> scripture was not translated exactly right. That's right, that's right. Because if, if looking at the original Greek there, you know, because, because I've studied that, not, not that I'm a Greek scholar by any means, but it, it would be more correct to state what you bind on earth will have already been bound in heaven. Exactly. And what you loose on earth will have already been loosed in heaven. That's right. Not, you can change things and I'll back right. you up. Which is what they did. Yeah. And that's how they created purgatory out of nothing. And that's how they created what's called venal sins and cardinal sins. And depending on how serious the sin is, depends on how much money you pay. And even if you wanted to commit a sin, there's a price list to pay in advance. Indulgence. Which is, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now that was in the Middle Ages, but still for the right amount of money, you can bribe your way into heaven according to their, their way of thinking. But that's not what the Bible says at all. It is shocking to us, to those of us that love God, that love the Word of God. It, it's shocking to us that these people, instead of dumping their man-made doctrines, which are so clearly not in the Scripture, they will take away the verse. And so the problem solved, right? But not quite. God is very clear. You shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall you diminish aught from the word which I command you. Or neither... I said that wrong. I'm sorry. Let me get this right. (laughs) You shall... My eyes are weirded. You shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it. Revelation chapter 22, 18 to 19 is even more emphatic about what God thinks of those who add or take away from God's word. Yet millions, millions of Bibles read over, read by over a billion people do not contain that vital verse, Acts eight thirty seven. Why is this? Why were the Greek texts corrupted? Well, it was to change the doctrines. It didn't fit in with what they wanted you to believe in. So they went out of the way to change it. You see, the word of God is so incredibly powerful. It establishes doctrine. It establishes what is right and what is wrong. 
During the Middle Ages, there was a version of the Bible that was printed and the printer left out one word, not. So instead of thou shalt not commit adultery, it said thou shalt commit adultery. The people knew that that's not what it was saying, but in that particular city, they went, they went crazy for a few months until they got in there. So folks do like to change the Bible to suit themselves. A few years ago, a Bible was created called the Queen James Bible. And it had all references to God's condemnation of homosexuality removed. It was all removed. So they changed words from sodomite to temple prostitute or perverted ones. But you've got to remember, for some people, what's perverted is not the same as what the Bible describes as perverted. Again, wiggle room. A little bit of wiggle room in there. That's all they need in order to open these things. So when you look through modern versions, you will find a lot of very strange things. You will find a lot of doctrines that just are not there. A lot of doctrines from the Bible historically that have been removed. So why even do this? What was at the very heart of it? Well, it was a hatred for, for God. It was a hatred for the doctrines that didn't suit in, that didn't suit people's own ideas, their own religious beliefs. Now, I was talking about these men a few weeks ago, um, and I discovered some more very interesting things about them. They weren't just communists, as if that's not bad enough. They weren't just unbelievers in the Lord Jesus Christ's divinity. They were actually occult leaders and they set out specifically to create a Greek text which would undermine the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ and suit their own religious beliefs. That's what it's based upon. Now understand, when we look at the King James, yes, it was translated 400 years ago, but it's based on Greek and Hebrew texts that date back 1,500 years before that. Many thousands of them. Well, what these men did was they just took a few documents. Of course, some of those documents are fake and they've been proven to be fake. And twisted them to create a Greek text to translate verses into English that would be contradictory to the word of God. I mean, these men really were doctors of deceit. They really were uh, uh, servants of Satan. See, one of the things they wanted to do was to deviate from the doctrinal purity that they found in the original text. They wanted to attack the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. They wanted to open the door to the ecumenical movement. And they wanted to embody the corrupt theology of themselves into it. Remember, these were men who were connected not just with the ghostly guild, but also with another group called the Hermes Club. And now I know all this stuff sounds weird to us here in Florida in the 21st century. But this is where the error came from. It started a long time ago. It didn't go away. And as John was talking about the consequences of sin, they go on and on throughout generations. And these have snowballed. These particular men who played leading roles in those cultic organizations, they believed in the occult. They practiced necromancy and witchcraft spiritism, and they like to communicate with evil spirits. All of these are abominable activities which are forbidden by God. 
At the time when their translation came out, their Greek text came out, which had these verses missing to suit the ecumenical movement. You see, in order to get all these churches together, they've got to make compromises. For example, if we were to decide here that we wanted to unify with all the other churches in the local area, what would we have to give up? Well, we'd have to compromise on baptism for a start because they don't believe baptism is essential for salvation, and we do. That's one thing we'd have to, have to compromise on. A lot of these churches don't believe in the same, the same way that we believe in marriage, divorce, and remarriage. They think it's a free-for-all. A lot of these churches do not believe in repentance or confession of Christ before baptism. They don't believe in baptism at all. What would we be willing to give up? Do we have scriptural authority to do that? We don't have any scriptural authority to do that. But if you get rid of that verse from the scripture, guess what? You've got authority. Yes, John. <laughs> well, the problem is that those people are looking for unity at any cost. Mm -hmm. Where the Bible talks about unity in Christ mm -hmm. and all of us having the mind of Christ. So we can and we desire and we work towards unity in Christ according to his word, mm -hmm. but we can't compromise on his word. You can't, you can't. And as, of course, even in a larger scale beyond these, and I'm using the term small c, Christian, small, you know, culturally, they're not quite there. Beyond that, the ecumenical movement wants to see a unification of what they call Christianity and Islam and Hinduism and Buddhism. And what their leaders have all said, there's one problem to that, one major problem, and that's Jesus Christ. Because he said he's the only way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And you know what that does? That excludes Buddha, it excludes Muhammad, it excludes everybody else. You cannot create a one-world religion that's what the ecumenical movement is looking for eventually. That's their aim. You cannot create a one-world religion. That would include practitioners of the occult, of Wicca, even Satanism. I've seen them. You can check it out on the internet, these meetings, where they're thinking it's got to be good because it'll all be peace and wonderful and fantastic. But Jesus is in the way. You see, Jesus excludes them. He excludes their teachings. He excludes their paths to heaven. People will say it doesn't matter if you believe in Jesus or Krishna or Buddha or Muhammad or whatever, but it does. The Bible tells us that. So it's separate. It's different. There's nothing new about this let's create a one world religion. It didn't just start happening in the 60s. You may have heard of the New Age movement. There's nothing New Age about it. You check its religion, it goes back 4,000 years to ancient Babylon. There's nothing new about it at all. But of course, here you have the Bible condemning their practices. The Bible says that we are not to conform to the ways of the world. The Bible says we're to remain faithful to the teachings of Jesus Christ, faithful to the word of God. You cannot do that and compromise the faith. We're to earnestly contend for the faith, Jude 3. Now, it doesn't mean we go out and start 
killing people or screaming at people in their faces or anything. Not at all. It just means that as we are responsible for getting right with God, so we are responsible for staying true to God. And that means holding on to, to his word and what he teaches. And that's why, that is why it's so important that we make sure that we know it's to the best of our possible ability that we are reading God's words. Because if we don't, there's plenty of Bibles out there that will give you an opinion on man's words and men's denominational theories. George? Yes. It's like uh, taking water out of the stream, you know. You may be way down the stream, but you don't know what has gone into that stream way up there. That's right. So the battle has been on for hundreds of years. And uh, the scripture says, uh, you shall know the truth and the truth is going to make you free. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, Christ says, my word is not going to return to me void. In other words, it's going to have an effect. Yeah. And it has. You know that. Christ had problems with false teachers. Paul had problems with them. But Mm -hmm. he says, you know, continue to preach and teach the word. That's it. That's it. And you know, the Bible is banned in 52 countries. Sure. It's banned. It's banned here in lots of so-called universities of learning. Well, uh, really? when you look at the world, why, why are we so blessed more than other nations? It's because the truth has been taught to you. It has been practiced to you. And uh, that's our goal, is to recognize God as the ruler of, you know, not only of my life, but of the nation itself. Yeah. These other countries do not practice it, so therefore they're at their own, uh, you know, suffer their own consequences. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's what happens when you move away from the Word of God. You know, Queen Victoria was once asked why, what, what was the, the basis of her power? And she said, the Bible. What happened to Britain when it gave up the Bible? and embrace secularism. The empire fell apart. What will happen to any nation that turns against the Bible? It's going to fall apart. Look at our own nation here. Mm. Well, it's, it's not a holy nation, but uh, it's better than some of the rest. Yeah. yeah. Well, at least we can still preach the word. Yes. They might put us in prison one day for doing it, but like I said, it just gives you a captive audience. It really does. You try persecuting it, it's not going to make it go away. It's just going to make people love it all the more and hold on to it all the more. This is a precious thing. It's a precious gift that we've got God's Word. It really is. We just need to make sure that it is God's Word that we're reading and not an interpretation of it to suit what men believe. Remember, this present attack has been going on for hundreds of years in the English-speaking world. But right in the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, you have Satan telling Eve to doubt God's word. Or twist it. You notice Satan actually twisted God's words. There's nothing new about it. Everything stands on, on, on the word of God. And if the church is not built upon the actual words of God, but rather upon aversion or perversion that's been changed to suit men, you're not going to have Christ's church. 
It's as simple as that. You're going to end up having to, churches that believe, oh, it's time to go, that God's an alien and all that stuff, which he's not. Okay, you know, I am, but he's not. Talk to you all later. Thank you for listening.